Okay, so this is the quote I have to read. Yes. You can do this. It's three words. Woo, you can do it. Woo! I think I can do it. I don't know what it means. It doesn't matter because you can do it. Yeah. Are you tricking me into saying something bad? No. Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> Old thinkers on belly feel ink sock. Ha! He said it. Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to Fire the Canon. This is a podcast where Rachel and Jackie read all the books in the Western canon, and then we all decide which ones belong, which ones don't. It's really a podcast where we just look deep within books, we look deep within ourselves, and we find truth. Now to introduce your two hosts, it's Jackie and Rachel. Shout them out. I'm Rachel. And I'm Jackie. And I'm your producer, Theo. Theo, do you remember what happened at the end of the last episode? What happened at the end of book two of 1984 by George Orwell, which is the book that we're currently reading? Do you remember that we're reading 1984 by George Orwell? (laughs) I'll tell you what happened at the end. Um, Big Brother reared his ugly head and entered their love nest, there being Winston and... Julia. Julia? Yeah. And Big Brother copied everything Winston said and was kind of pissing Winston off, I think. Oh, and then they're taking Winston to disappear him. Maybe. And who is the who is the member of the thought police who shows up and shows himself? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it? Mr. Charrington. Charrington. It's Mr. Charrington. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Charrington. No, it's Mr. Charrington. Let's okay. Let's keep going. We've made him do enough work for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clocking out, guys. <laughs> He's punching that card. Um, yeah, so the end of book two was quite the cliffhanger. The Thought Police, turns out it's Mr. Charrington, the old antique owner of the shop, and he comes up and, and he's reverse-aged. He's gotten, like, younger and hotter, which is terrifying. We're starting out with the with book three, which is the final book of 1984, so we're going to be done. And um, I'm just going to go through it for you. Rachel, you want to say anything? Not yet. Nope, this is your only chance. <laughs> okay. Well, <Yeah>. Jackie, no. <laughs> okay, I'll talk. Fine. Well, actually, no, I have a lot of stuff to say about fascism. Maybe I should just say it at the end after you've bossed me around so much that I snap. Okay, but can I just ask a question first? Yeah. Is it good stuff that you're going to say about fascism or bad stuff? It's it's anti-fascism. <laughs> okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. So it's good stuff. You're talking about some of that Antifa? Because I heard they do everything bad in the world. This is an anti-fascist podcast, mm. as far as I'm concerned. I would say so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some curious silence there from the other two Yeah, members. Theo, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> it's assumed. It's assumed. I just wanted to make sure it would be anti-fascist, because I don't want to really do this whole podcast oh episode and then have you end it with, like, I love Stalin. <laughs> Mask He's off. so hot when he was young. <laughs> well, Stalin wasn't a fascist. He was an authoritarian. That's what I kind of want to talk about is what people get so confused. I'm so confused. Tell me. Oh, I can do it at the end. Should we do the plot? Let's do some plot and then talk fash. Let's plot ahead on this plot. Yeah, and then we'll talk fash. Fash talk. All right, so. Fash talk. <laughs> fash fash car by Tracy Fash Chapman. talk with Rachel. Oh. <laughs> you got a fash car. <laughs> I'm going to play to get us out of here. Yeah. All right. So. Wow. Um, it's been what, like 61 episodes or so since Jackie has tried to put Fast Car into this podcast? I'd say 44. Okay. No, I think it's it was usually you guys bringing it up. Come on. You were always on. singing it. I literally don't even know this song all the way through. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so 
Winston, at the end of the last book, had been whisked away. Him and Julia were taken away separately by the agents of— S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> I forgot the name of the government. What's it called? Oceania. That's the country. The party? Oh, the party. Yeah, sorry, the party. <laughs> I've been thinking about nothing but 1984 for, like, three weeks, and I'm, like, forgetting, like, basic information. It's like when you say a word too many times and the word starts to become fake for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Okay. So Winston wakes up, and he's in this, like, kind of holding cell. Basically what ensues is lots and lots of pages of him getting tortured in many different ways, and there are some people who he meets who aren't that important. Some important things that do happen while he's in this holding cell are, first of all, I just thought this was kind of funny. Another character comes in who I don't think we talked about in previous episodes. He wasn't very important, but his name is Ampleforth, and he's a poet. How can he be a poet in this society? He translates poetry into Newspeak. accepted, yeah. Yeah. Oh, ah, Newspeak. Sort of like old thinkers on Bellyfield ink song. Yeah, kind of like that. They're not really translating it into the, like, the Newspeak, like what you just said, it's more kind of changing what it's about. Like making it more appropriate mm. for... Fit in with the ideals, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Ampleforth comes in, and he's like kind of this older guy, and Winston says, what are you in for? And he tells him, well, I was supposed to be making this poem, and I had to take the word God out because, you know, this is a secular society and religion isn't allowed. But he says, I, there was nothing else I could rhyme it with, nothing. I mean, you think about it. There's only like 16 words in the whole English language that rhyme with rod or whatever. And God is one of them. It was the only one that made sense. I had to do it. And so he gets put into jail. I had to leave it in. Yeah. I had to leave it in. <laughs> yeah. What a moron. <laughs> but I, there are other words. Yeah. What about bod? He should have rhymed it with bod. Yeah. yeah. Well, he just, all he cared about was the purity of the art. Hmm. I like him. He's the only character I like, I guess. He's the only character. Ampleforth? Well, I like Syme a little bit, actually. Yeah. So I don't know. Ampleforth, you could do some slant rhymes or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, Loud. His neighbor comes in, his neighbor who talked about his little kids and how proud he was of them for all of the espionage. The one Winston said, this guy's too stupid. He'll never get vaporized. Yeah, this guy's too dumb. He comes in and he's like, well, my daughter turned me in because apparently I was talking in my sleep and I was saying, down with big brother, down with big brother. <laughs> oh, no. And then he's Stephen like... Stephen would get got. <laughs> he would get <laughs> yeah. got. Unless he said, I love big brother. Up I don't know. Up with big brother. <laughs> big brother yeah. is a Chris Bull. An evil Chris Bull. <laughs> Quiz me all that crisble. <laughs> you have to be a patron to get that. Feels good. Mm, moving back to Airstrip One. <laughs> this is another uh, sneaky little promo for our Patreon exclusive <laughs> Stephen sleep talking episode. <laughs> We're eventually going to work them all in, honestly. So he's talking in his sleep, apparently, and, he, and he's so dumb. He's like, you know what? It's a good thing. I'm glad she turned me in. I am a criminal, and I deserve to be here, and criminals should be where they are. I'm glad they rooted it out before it got even worse, and he's like, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I'm 100% in the wrong. I'm going to confess, and I now. might only have to do five or ten years at a labor camp. It'll be great. Whoa. Yeah, they don't shoot you if you confess, right? And I'm proud of her. <laughs> so proud of my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> That's freaky. He also talks a little bit about, like, the social hierarchy of the prison because mm -hmm. most of the people in the prison are proles, and they're usually there for just, you know, crimes like smuggling, stealing, and they normally are fine. Like, if they get sent to a labor camp, they do okay as long as they have someone on the outside who can kind of give them some food or cigarettes or whatever. Yeah, no big deal to go to a labor camp if you're a parole. <laughs> NBD. Yeah, political prisoners are the lowest of the low, and, like, the proles hate them and ignore them, so they're 
they're the ones everybody looks down on. If you're a parole in there for a crime, basically, like, the guards are honestly kind of friendly with you because I think they're just like, yeah, who cares? This is what paroles are like. They just commit crimes. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes to jail at least once. Mm -hmm. And it's awful, and they're being watched all the time on the telescreens, and if Winston ever, like, does anything that he's not supposed to do, he gets yelled at. His neighbor one time had to pee, and there's, like, a toilet in the middle of the room. It wasn't pee. (laughs) He had to poop. Sorry. And he took his pants down and Winston covered. <laughs> but it was a horrifying scene. Winston covered his face and the telescreen was like, hey, you've got to look at that. You're not allowed <laughs> yeah, to cover your, your face. face. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's just a lot of like gross his, yeah. things that happen in this. This is like Prisoner Smith, no covered faces allowed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I have to look at it, you have to look at it too, Winston. <laughs> yeah. We're all in this together. <laughs> We're yeah. all in this together. Wait, can we go back to the poet guy? Ambleforth? Sure. So if it's his job to secularize poetry and he can't figure out another rhyme for God, did he work like one day? <laughs> like, like, I mean, he's like 70 years old. He's old. I mean, how? I feel like you would run into that problem every day. <laughs> Because I bet you're doing multiple a day, right? If it's if you're uh, just... probably yeah. He said he was working on no. translating the works of Rudyard Kipling. Um, I think it's very difficult. If you read the appendix at the back, uh-huh. it talks about like it took them a long time to kind of big brotherize these great works. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible that he only did one poem in sixty years of service or whatever. But it's possible that he was allowed to spend months like working on one poem. And also, I kind of imagine it might be like the news, like where Winston works, that every time something changes in the ideology or they want to change history, you'd probably have to go back and amend the poems. Uh, too. I have to redo it. I don't know. Oh yeah, like the ideology kept changing and they kept not liking all of the other words that rhymed with God. <laughs> well, they don't really ever change their ideology, but they might uh, like write an ode to Big Brother. Or something. I don't know. They'd probably have to change some stuff. The poem that he couldn't do is called McAndrew's Hymn by Rudyard Kipling. And if it is, the couplet is, from coupler flange to spindle guide, I see thy hand, O God. Predestination in the stride, O yon connectin' rod. Okay, so let's fix that. It could. Can you say it again, Rachel? <laughs> from coupler flange to spindle guide, I see thy hand, Oh, God. Okay, I see thy hand, oh. Oh, bro. Well, that's the rhyme. I got rod, I got shot, I got squad. Squad? You don't, he could change rod, too. Like, he didn't have to just. I see thy hand, oh, squad. I see thy hand and bod. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we know, we know. Okay, so. Yeah, you're right. Ampleforth, there was nothing else to do there. More. (laughs) I mean, that's He would have to just change more of the poem. He can't just swap the word out. I feel like that's something someone would do if they're a character in a Greek myth is like not be able to just change a word because they're devoted to poetry or something like that. What's like the that. term? It's his tragic flaw or whatever. Yeah, right. That he doesn't know any rhymes for God. <laughs> what if he had made it like G-A-W-D, like God? God. Uh, I don't that know because that still references – no, because that references the existence of God. If you're spelling it like that, you're referring no, to something else. No, that's not the existence of God. That's just like a teenager being exasperated. It has nothing to do with it. Mm, Jackie. Mm, Jackie. I don't know if you read the appendix. Mm. You don't think so? She's talking like she didn't. G-A-W-D shows up in the appendix. In the appendix, it explains the whole logic behind the words that are allowed and not allowed. And they would not have allowed G-A-W-D. Okay. It might have. 
Take a look at that. Balad. I see Theo's on rhymezone.com. I can see that in your glasses as well. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, I just know. I just know. So, oh, another thing is that there's <laughs> there's a parole woman who's being kept in the holding cell with Winston as well because it like many days pass. It's windowless. There's bright lights on all the time. They never turn them off or dim them. He has no idea like what time of day it is. The place where there is no darkness. Whoa. The place where there is no darkness. Yeah. Like he spoke with O'Brien. Did I ever tell you guys about that when I was looking for an apartment, that studio apartment I saw advertised? No. There's this really cheap studio apartment and it kind of cool neighborhood in Houston that was being advertised. Oh, no. I was like, why is this so cheap? And then I looked through the ad on Craigslist and it had a list of features, and one of which was window. <laughs> yeah, you did tell us that. Winston would love it. Wait, so you didn't want the window? <laughs> well, I was a little concerned that if they're needing to specify that, what else does this apartment not have? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like if you're on Hinge and some girl's profile says, like, I have a brain. <laughs> My best quality, yeah. I literally have a brain. Yep. I am alive. Yeah, or I am conscious. Yeah, mm. I'm conscious. There you go. Usually. Yeah. Um, Unusually. So at one point, a prisoner is brought in who's like skeletal, and it's obvious he's been starved for a long time. And someone tries to give him a piece of bread, and then a that guy who's who, like kind of chubby, yeah, tries to give him a piece of bread. Oh, and no. The narrator or Winston thinks about it all the time. He's like, the guy looked at him, double chin quivering. Of course, the fat guy had bread, right? <laughs> he tries to give it to the to the starving guy, and and the guy who gives the bread gets beat up terribly by the guards, and then the guards say to the skeletal man who's starving room 101 and the skeletal man freaks the fuck out and is like nope not room 101 not going in there please anything i'll confess i'll say whatever you want i have a wife and kids like kill my wife and kids in front of me kill them in front of me i don't even care just don't make me go there (laughs) don't make me go in there they make him go in there anyway i don't know if you knew that was going to happen or not but they didn't go for his arguments they said you got to go in there anyway Oh, really? Yeah, he couldn't talk him out of it. I, I got to say, I wouldn't be persuaded by someone telling me, instead of the thing you want, what if you kill my family? You're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Unless you really want to kill that guy's family. Which sounds like Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Okay, good. Um, so we learn that there's some mysterious room that nobody wants to go into. The next thing that happens is the door opens again, and guess who comes in, Theo? Guess. Squirtle. <laughs> that was a terrible guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's O'Brien. Yeah, it's O'Brien. God, you're really good at guessing in this book. Yeah, I know. Have you read this book before? He says he hasn't. Or are you looking at the Wikipedia? Look at his glasses. It's just they're very limited character options. Yeah, there are. There are more members of the Bennett family than there are characters, characters in, in this whole book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's why I'm doing so well understanding what you're talking about with this book. Yeah, pretty okay, much. Good. So you remember in the last episode, Winston had gone to O'Brien's house and said, hey, I'm ready to be a criminal for you. Tell me whatever you want to overthrow the party. And O'Brien's like, great, I'm going to give you the book. He gives him the book. Big mistake. So everything, you know, goes according to plan. O'Brien comes into the room and Winston says, they got you too? Silly, silly Winston. O'Brien is like, yeah, they got me a long time ago. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. shit. He was an oh, undercover shit. whatever. Agent. He's not even under. He's not even undercover. Undercover brother. Have you seen Undercover <laughs> Brother? <laughs> Wait, what's no. that again? Is that real? I think I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a real movie. Let me see when it came out. My Undercover Brother from Another Mother? Wow, Jackie knows all kinds of rhymes. It's, uh, okay, <laughs> it came out in 2002, and Becca and Darius talk about it all the time. It's this, like, 
It's a spy. I think it's a black spy who goes undercover as a white guy to like take down this evil organization and they like force him to eat mayonnaise. I think I've seen that too. <laughs> but my sister just brought it up this weekend because my dad was like, I made these veggie or yeah, we made these veggie burgers and we put like some vegan mayonnaise on the buns before we grilled or griddled them. And he's like, I need to put some more mayonnaise on this. And Becca's like, dad, that is the whitest thing about you is your love of mayonnaise. (laughs) No, I think the whitest thing about your dad is his love of milk. You think? He loves milk. He really does love milk. Yeah. I mean, other people love milk too. I feel like loving mayonnaise is whiter. No. Yeah, maybe. Um, I was thinking I had seen that movie, but then I think I was confusing it with God, what? Black Klansman? No. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie that's like Chris Rock and I think it's called Down to Earth or something and he and he gets killed and he goes up to heaven and they say, all right, well, we, we made a mistake. We can send you back, but it's going to be in the body of this like old white guy. So they send Chris Rock back in this old white guy's body. Old? That's not fair. Shouldn't you become a little baby at first? Yeah, it is Chris Rock. Yeah, no, it's called Down to Earth. Did I get the title right? Yeah. 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 I don't remember why. There was some logic to it, but, you know. <laughs> no, I, I don't. <laughs> well, in the movie. There. Anyway, <laughs> I thought I thought that's what I was thinking of. All right. Wait, are you talking about white chicks? No. Isn't that a movie? Theo. You're right. It is a movie. Okay. Wow, this is kind of a theme. Yeah, because it's fine in this direction. It's terrible in the other direction. Yeah. Oh, I will say, speaking on the theme we were just on, it is weird to me. The way that the whiteness of the book is never addressed is weird to me because the only time there's someone who's not white, it's O'Brien's manservant who is Asian. Mm -hmm. And that's made a really big deal of. Yeah, because they're at war with East Asia. Right. But I mean, that tells you at least that they're like that they're racially segregated, that there are no, like, Oceanian Asian people. Mm -mm. But we also don't see any other races of people at all. Like, it never gets mentioned. No. But it's not mentioned in any direction. Mm. Not at all. Not at all. It's very strange to me because I'm thinking, like, I don't know if this is a society that, like, purged its non-white members or if Orwell just, like, totally overlooked that part or if they're there and just it's not remarkable because they're not Asian. I think that um, in the in the segments of, quote unquote, the book, the like theory and practice of oligarchical collectivism or whatever, it does say that prejudice against, you know, like different groups has kind of been done away with by this system because it really doesn't matter like your race or ethnicity or anything as long as you're, you know, devoted to the party. So, I mean, it, I think it does say that at one point, but it, there are no characters that are explicitly other than that one guy. We know that some people are white from the description. Yeah. And we know that one guy is Asian. Yeah. But we don't know anything else about the other characters. So I guess in your brain, what have you been envisioning, Jackie? Do you think that it's like a multiracial society? It's just no Asians allowed? I kind of had been envisioning that. Because they haven't always been at war with East Asia. See, the servant thing is weird to me because up until that point, I kind of had been imagining that it wasn't all white. I kind of just figured that they never mention it because individual differences are frowned upon. Oh, Interesting. I mean, they can make people dress the same and stuff, but I don't think it would be good to, like, acknowledge that someone isn't, like, the same skin color as you or but something. But Winston, Winston, like, he describes people in such detail. Yeah. You know, what they look like, how they dress. 
I don't think that he would. Oh, there is a very problematic description of one other person in this book. Oh, gosh. Um, we'll just say he uses a a bad word, an impolite. A very outdated. Like kinda... eugenics-y word. <laughs> yeah. To say that a character has like his lips like look black, basically. That t- implies to me, so they know what black people look like at least caricatures. Yeah. And that would imply to me that they don't have black people around if you're able, if you're like looking at a feature of someone and saying like, well, that's not a white feature. Yeah. Well, like why would they need to remark on it if it's a fully integrated society except for Asians? Hmm. Was it a character saying that or is that just Orwell throwing in his own thing there? I mean, that's Winston's thoughts. It's Winston's so, thoughts. Uh, yeah. So my, I'm thinking that the society is all white, especially because if you look at what Oceania is, it's all like it's the UK and former colonies of the UK. Yeah. Australia, the US, Canada. Yeah. So I'm guessing that it's a white people thing, but I wonder what they did to the people of color. My guess would be that party members are all white and the proles can be multiracial. But I wouldn't be surprised if they like kicked non-white people out of England and like sent them to South America. I honestly like don't think that there's like a racial tinge to this, or at least I hadn't. I mean, yeah, like they do definitely, like Winston mentions it. He is so quick to point out differences and there are like seven characters and they all have pretty detailed descriptions. I know that if one of them wasn't white, Winston would say something about it. No, I bet none of the main characters are non-white, but I kind of feel like that's George Orwell just assuming that like... Just a blind spot from the author. A blind spot from the author, but I bet in his mind, other people in the party are non-white. You think? I think so, yeah. I don't think there's supposed to be like any other level of ideology to this, like... I mean, it would make sense if there was racism as part of their fascism. But there's not any. Like, when you read, like, what O'Brien says to him. So I guess we'll have to get more into it. Okay, I'm going to say this. There is no way that there is no racism when he's, like, going on and on about, like, Jewish-looking people. That's true. And also the one Asian guy, they say stuff about that. He uses an insulting term for someone who has, like, bigger lips than average. Yeah. And because the way that the world is cut up into chunks, it very much is, like, what is it? You have China, Japan, and Korea are one chunk. Mm -hmm. And then you have... Eastern Europe and like Western Asia as a chunk. And then you have like England and the former colonies. There's no way if, especially with the two minutes hate, there's no way that they don't racialize that, you know? Yeah. That's the (sighs) easiest thing to get someone to do is to hate someone for their differences. There's no way that the party wouldn't capitalize that, capitalize on that and, you know, make it racist. That's true. I I mean, like they would capitalize on the differences that they say are there. I'm kind of honestly thinking that, like, that's not supposed to be one of the facets of the society, but it kind of just is anyway. And I don't know, honestly, if that was an intentional choice on Orwell's part. I think it also might just be kind of a blind spot for him. My guess is that it is a blind spot. But I think if you asked him about it, he would say, oh, yeah, you know, they have other races, obviously, because of South America. And we know they have the proles and slaves. And my guess Mm -hmm. is that the, you know, quote unquote, lower classes are the non-white people. I bet that all the party members, if you had him describe party members to you, Mm -hmm. my guess is that they're like 
white and maybe even non-Jewish white people. Yeah. But then the but, Rutherford thing gets confusing because he used to be, like, one of the, like, top, top, top members of the inner party, and he describes him that way. I don't think he is black. I don't know. I think he's just saying this guy has bigger lips. That's possible, yeah. That If this guy was black, he wouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, his lips were kind of big. He would also be describing his hair. He would describe his skin color because he does that for the other characters. Yeah, that's true. In In terrifying detail sometimes. Yeah, I'm guessing that Orwell's cohort was not very diverse, even though obviously, like, England has had multiple races of people for hundreds, centuries, thousands. Yeah, there have been multiple races in England for, you know, a very long time, but they weren't always the kind of people who ran in the same circles with George Orwell in, (laughs) in the 1930s and 40s. That's my guess. But it was weird to me. I feel like he should have said something, like address it in some right. way. Because well, the fact this book was written like four years after the end of World War II, you would think like there would be a little bit more of like ethnic nationalism in his writing. But you really don't see it very much except for these kind of vague anti-Semitic things, which is like, what are you doing being anti-Semitic four years after World War II? Like, uh, you shouldn't de- be ever, but like, don't you know look. that that's not a good look? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's not necessarily Orwell being anti-Semitic. It could be Winston. It could be, you know, Oceania. It's it, We don't right. know. That's true. Very interesting. But anyway, so O'Brien comes in and Winston thinks to himself, like, oh, God, like, there's a guard behind him. Where is he going to hit me? Is it going to be on the head? Is it going to be in my stomach, on the elbow? God, I hope it's not the elbow. And then the guard promptly smashes him in the elbow. He wakes up sometimes, sometime later. He's been, like, knocked unconscious, and he's, like, laying in this bed. And so what happens after this is that O'Brien and Winston spend a very long time talking. It's probably multiple weeks, if not months, because it gets described that Winston, like, loses tons of weight and becomes very skeletal. He loses a lot of his hair. Almost all of his teeth fall out. His ulcer is just, like, leaking everywhere. It's awful. (laughs) And O'Brien describes to him the point of him being in this place. So we thought, right, like, if you disobey Big Brother, you're going to get vaporized instantly or just, like, shot or disappeared or something. But they keep Winston around for a very long time. And O'Brien says it's because – he says, I've been watching you for seven years. So make no mistake, like, this appearance with him and Julia in his house a little bit before they got arrested has nothing to do with their current situation. Like, O'Brien has known for a long time that Winston was a thought criminal. You are always going to end up here. Yeah, you are always going to end up here. I've always known it. And somehow, O'Brien seems to be, like, literally clairvoyant. Like, everything Winston thinks, he knows. And I don't think that's supposed to be mystical, though. I think it's that... So Winston constantly talks about how O'Brien is, like, so intelligent. (laughs) And it seems like he's got a little crush on him, almost. Like, every time, like, O'Brien will cause him terrible pain... He, like, has him hooked up to this machine that I kind of think of, like, the, yeah, the, the little princess medieval bride. torture device. Yeah, from the Princess <laughs> Bride, where it's like, not to 50! And you can, like, lift up the, you know, the number. But um, so so O'Brien has him hooked up to this thing, and whenever he turns the dial, he can, you know, give him an intense amount of pain from zero to 100. Um but it's it's this, like, very weird, like, cycle of abuse and love bombing kind of thing where O'Brien will cause him horrible pain and then take the pain away and make him feel better. And then Winston is like, I love you. I love you, O'Brien. And hug him. Yeah. It's it's worshipping. 
it's insane to me. So a lot of the people who try to compare society to 1984, they are in favor of torture. <laughs> I feel like a lot of those people haven't read past like the first 10 pages. Yeah. Because if, if there is a solid lesson in this book, it's that torturing people doesn't do it. Like it, torturing people doesn't extract anything truthful from someone. No, and the party knows that. They don't torture people because right. they want good information from you. They know that you're just going to say anything that you tell them to. They, Yeah, they want to psychologically break you. But, you know, if you listen to people whose job it is to extract information, the way that you do that and get good information they will say it's not from causing pain to someone because they will just say what they think you want. Become their friend. Yeah, it's becoming their friend. And O'Brien does a weird mixture of this. He's constantly, like, really hurting Winston and then mm -hmm. comforting him. Well, it's like an abusive relationship, sort of. Yeah. Like, and yeah. it's a popular fan fiction trope, hurt comfort. Ugh, okay. It's not the same character doing both usually, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> but I always see it on lists of like I, I like to read the, you know, most popular tropes of the year from archive of our own. So when you said it's not always the same character, I thought you meant it's not always O'Brien, but a lot of the time yeah. it's O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> oh, O'Brien's in this one too. It's like sixty percent of the time it's it's O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, it's not always, but a good <laughs> minority of the time. They just put him in like any piece of fiction. <laughs> Harry Potter, yeah. O'Brien goes in there. <laughs> O'Brien slash Snape, very popular pairing. Yeah, I mean, I think Winston definitely kind of looks at him a little bit as like a dad or a protective figure. And he always thinks to himself, like, every thought he that— He knows everything. He knows everything, but he's—so one of the things he said that kind of stuck with me was that it's impossible to argue with a madman who's more intelligent than you. So he knows O'Brien is insane, but he can't ever escape his logic. Like, because everything that—every <laughs> time he tries to argue with O'Brien about anything, he has some type of, like— irrefutable statement that doesn't make any sense, but it's still irrefutable. So he'll say, like, what do you mean you can control everything with the party? Like, you can't control everything. You can't control matter. You can't control, like, the movement of, like, the stars and the planets in space and stuff. And O'Brien says, oh, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. And <laughs> we can and we do. <laughs> yeah. Like, I could jump off the floor right now and float around in the air, and I just am not doing it because I don't want to. And Winston is like, what do you mean? You can't do those things. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can, because I can make you believe it. And as long as you believe it, then exa reality exists only in your brain. Theo, this is a, a quote that I was reading, and I thought, okay, Theo's, he's going to be interested in this. The dinosaurs? Oh, no, but you can talk about the dinosaur part. Okay. <laughs> you want to do that? You want to do it right he now? He must know about the dinosaurs. He has to. Just tell him the dinosaurs, because you won't be able to relax until he knows. He won't be able to relax, yeah. <laughs> Look at his hair. It's the hair of a man who has to hear about dinosaurs immediately. <laughs> he has to hear about them, yeah. Quit stalling! Okay, <laughs> quit stalling. Winston says to O'Brien, you, you think you can control history. You keep telling me that everything in history is something that the party controls, but there are bones of dinosaurs and ancient creatures that have been found in the ground. How do you explain that? Like, the party hasn't been around forever. They don't control absolutely everything that's ever happened. Or, sorry, O'Brien says, um, have you ever seen those dinosaur bones, Winston? Of course not. It's because they were planted there by liars. <laughs> oh, wow. So, like, couldn't he have wow. just said, like, oh, it's made up? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> planted. The, yeah, if you've never seen them, why don't you just say they were made up? 
they don't exist at all. Yeah. Even if you had seen them, you could say they were planted by liars. <laughs> yeah. O'Brien is a genius. Okay. So this is the part I thought was funny. So at one point, O'Brien is like, look, you've always thought we were kindred spirits, right? Like you've always thought I was someone you could talk to. Here's your chance. Like, you, you know, for right now, you know, the machine's <laughs> Wait, off. But before you continue with that, he does say, "We." it turns out we kind of are kindred spirits. You and I have the same sort of mind. The only difference is that you're delusional and I'm not. Yeah, you're insane. I'm you're not insane. insane. <laughs> right. That's the only difference. And this is the part. So he gets he tortures him until he he wants to torture him until he believes that two plus two equals five. Okay. So at first, Winston is like holding out. He's saying, how many fingers do I have? And he's like, oh, it's four. It's four. He's like, OK, he turns it up. How many fingers? And Winston's like, it's five. And the guy's like, but do you really think it's five? Or do you just want me to think that you think it's five? But there's no point in lying because he can read his mind somehow. Apparently. But so Winston finally is like, oh, my gosh, for a second, I did see five. And O'Brien's like, nice job, Winston. You've made a breakthrough. Now, even though you don't believe that it's five, you believe that it's possible for you to think that it's five. So let's take a little break. So now that you believe that it's possible, we go on to the next level, which is getting you to actually believe it. Yeah. So he (laughs) says first is learning, then is understanding, then is accepting And then his love, I think, is the last one. So the funny part to me was he's like, okay, let's take a little break. Ask me anything you want. He (laughs) asks him about the book. And O'Brien's like, oh, yeah, I helped write that. Like, we just made it up. And he's like, well, is the brotherhood real? And he's like, I'm never going to tell you. You're never going to know that. Yeah. And so then he says, okay, well, is Big Brother real? And O'Brien says, of course he's real, obviously. And Winston's like, Don't you see the pictures of him everywhere? (laughs) Yeah. Winston says, but... (laughs) Is he real like I'm real? And O'Brien says, Winston, you're not you're real. Not real. <laughs> what does Winston say to that? He's like, what? <laughs> but I, he's like, I have arms and legs. I'm alive now and I'm going to die. I have my own thoughts. And O'Brien's like, He says, I feel like I'm alive. I, yeah, I think I'm real. And O'Brien explains basically like, he's like, you know, our tenant, he who controls the present controls the past and whoever, whatever. It's, it's whatever. So he says, the past isn't actually real the only place it exists is in people's memories so if we can control their memories then we really do control the past so like you know you're not really real yeah that's the key of the whole thing is anything at all whether it's the past or yourself or dinosaurs it only exists so long as it's in your mind and nothing else outside of that exists and the party is like a body and each member is a cell. So the idea is that you want the members to not really care about themselves individually, just like a cell isn't worried about dying, you know, because the body will live on forever, mm-hmm. which is not that great of a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I remember Jackie saying she thought the book, because there were excerpts from the book in 1984, right? You thought the book was, like, it seemed like Orwell got some things right. It was right. But so that's the thing. O'Brien says, it's not that they don't know, like, the difference between right and wrong. I think it's that it's that they don't care at all. So O'Brien says, like, what do you think the point of the party is? And Winston is like, I don't know. I Why guess- do you want all this power? Yeah. Winston's like, well, I don't know. I guess it's probably because you want to like keep the bad people down and the good people up and O'Brien is like no that was stupid and he gives him like a big shock and he's like power is its own goal it doesn't have anything to do with good or bad or right or wrong this is maybe the most famous 
line in the book, apart from like two plus two equals five or big brother is watching you, where he says, the reason we're doing this, the whole point of this is that we're going to win. The party is going to exist forever. No one can stop us. We are going to win and win and win. If you want to know what the future looks like, it is a boot stamping on a human face over and over again forever. And that's what we want. It's that feeling of constantly crushing our enemies. Huh. Mm-hmm. We're going to win so much, we're going to get tired of winning. <laughs> yeah. I go so, back and forth between thinking this book is good or not good. I think that's a very good line. And I think that is what fascism is, which I'll talk about that a little bit more once we're done talking about the plot. But I think he was a pretty good political theorist, a terrible writer of women. <laughs> good good and bad at different things. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing, too. Like, this is fiction in that even he knows, like, even Orwell knows writing this and the characters he's writing also know this. There has been no party in history, like, not, not the German Nazis, not the Russian communists that are as powerful as the party in Oceania because they all thought in some weird messed up way like some of some part of them thought they were doing the right thing even though they were definitely wrong about that or they had the wrong values or something but the party understands we know we're not doing the right thing like none of this is good we don't care about values <laughs> yeah we don't care about values so it says I'll tell you the answer to my question it is this the party seeks power entirely for its own sake we are not interested in the good of others we are interested solely in power not wealth or luxury or long life or happiness only power pure power and then he says later the object of persecution is persecution the object of torture is torture the object of power is power that's it that is a criticism that people have given of like so I have heard some people talking about like the Nazi party and that they did a lot of stupid things like tactically stupid they were very stupid <laughs> let me say that first of all they were stupid they were idiots like they were not Official smart fire the cannon take nazis are stupid <laughs> they're not like tactical geniuses strategic no they made a lot of stupid mistakes and part of that is because a lot of their motivation was like ideological just stupid ideological stuff like their bizarre hatred of minorities, like this irrational, like all-consuming hatred led them to do a lot of things that if all they cared about was winning and like taking over the world or whatever, they wouldn't do that. They would have done something else. So the party is like, we don't actually Mm. hate the people that we say we hate. We hate whoever's going to help us gain power at the time. Like, who cares? Mm. Right. Which, of course, I mean, it's an interesting literary device to have something like that. But I think the whole point is that no human behaves like this in real life, right? Like, No, there are people who only care about power. I don't think there are political parties that only care about power. Right. Well, you could, yeah, because you can never get each individual person to devote their entire being to the power of something else above them. O'Brien doesn't have individual power. Like, he has individual power right now over Winston in this situation, but mm. realistically, he has nothing of his own, you know? But he feels it. He feels it. He feels it. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he knows he's better than the proles and he knows he's better than the outer party or whatever. Mm. He's feeling it. He's feeling it, Jackie. He's vibing on it. <laughs> so here's something that happens. So Winston says to O'Brien, 
I don't care. In the end, they'll beat you. I don't know how you're going to be overthrown, but somehow you're going to. It just has to happen that way. Like, there's there's just nothing natural about this. Like, good will prevail. And O'Brien says, oh, well, it sounds like you're feeling pretty superior at this point, right, Winston? Do you believe you're superior to us? Winston says, yeah, I, I do believe I'm superior. And O'Brien turns on the recording of Winston saying that he would murder anybody, throw acid in a child's face, like commit horrible crimes. And he just like plays that at him. And that was pretty cold, O'Brien. That's a good trick. It wouldn't work on me because I would have said, no, I won't throw acid in a child's face. (laughs) Rachel, you had to be there. (laughs) You had to be there. He was feeling it. He was vibing on it. God, Rachel's so always virtue signaling about not throwing acid on a child. Yeah. Uh, I just think I'm better than everyone who has thrown acid on a child, I guess. Yeah, I guess you'd have that weird complex about you. (laughs) So O'Brien says, you think you're so great. You think you're the last man, like, full of humanity and the rest of us are just machines. Well, get up and look at yourself. Look at what the last man has become. And so that's when Winston gets up and he's like, oh, no. I look terrible. My eyes are too far apart. He also, (laughs) yeah. Uh, He learns his lesson and then he wakes up from the dream a la Scrooge and immediately lives a better life. Really? No. Nope. Just kidding. O'Brien walks up to him and physically yanks one of his teeth out of his mouth with his hands. And he's like, see? What? He says, like, you have six teeth now. Remember how many teeth you had when you came in? Seven. (laughs) More than six. Wow. All right. So I'm just going to kind of move along a little bit. So Theo's into this teeth yanking thing. This teeth yanking thing. I am? It seemed like you said, wow. (laughs) Do you know how many wows I have to edit out of my audio track? No, how many? How many would you estimate? I mean, I probably edit out three-fourths of them, and there are still lots of wows in the actual episode. <laughs> are, wow. Do you feel Whoa. it every time, or are you just saying that because you want us to think you're listening? <laughs> a little column A, a little column B. No, sometimes when Theo says wow, it makes me really it makes me self-conscious because I can tell that he thinks you're it's like, boring. You're like, it wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, it always makes me stop. You think my wow it means I'm bored? I don't know, but it just sounds that way to me. Like sometimes we'll be describing something and you'll go, wow. And I just feel like it's sarcastic. And then I'm like, oh, that wasn't interesting. <laughs> it's never sarcastic. Here, I'll, I'll try some new ones for you. I'll try some new ad libs Yeah. Ooh. as we continue the episode. Try some more Owen wilson S. Oh, do you guys want to take a little break so I can tell you that story about Stephen's friend Adam <laughs> he mentioned earlier? So one time Adam came to stay with us. I don't know why he was in town, but he was. Oh, no, I think it was there was like Moogfest or something. But he came to stay with us and I had been working like really long hours and I was exhausted, but I'm like, oh, I've never met Adam before. I've been hearing about him for a while. I'd like to hang out. So we're hanging out and Adam has brought this game and he wants to play this board game. Oh my gosh. And you know me. I love a good board game. It's Jumanji. But I do love a, I love a board game and I have no problem with like them taking a while to set up. But so anyway, so, but I said to them, I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy for this. Like I've just been working for 11 hours. I've been on my feet all day. I'm so tired. Yeah. And Adam's like, oh no, it's so fun. Like it's not, it doesn't take that long. Let's just like, let's just play around. And I'm like, okay, okay. So oh my gosh, I'm expecting this to be one of those board games where whoever loses dies. Just one of those board games. He's explaining it to us and we're doing this and we're doing that. And we've been doing, it's been three hours and he goes, okay, so now that we've got it set up, <laughs> what? let's play the first round. Oh my gosh. I was like, 
I can't do this. I can't do this. Th- was it not noticeable that what you were doing was set up? You thought you were already playing. Yeah, I thought I was already playing. How can something be set up but seem like a game? Because you have to, like, the way that you get it set up, you have to, like, draw these cards and do all this other stuff because this part of the setup is, like, part of the game. You thought player one's turn was opening up the box and taking the board out and unfolding it. <laughs> Great move. Very strategic. No, it was it was like three three hours of setup. And I'm like, I can't do this. I really can't do this. And Adam's saying, oh, it's so fun. Like, we have to play. Oh my like, gosh. I can't. I just can't do it. it, it <laughs> I just can't do Wait, it. Wait, so this is a prank, right? No, it was real. Whoa. What? Jackie just had a great idea. What? Going to bed? Oh, playing a prank. Selling a prank <laughs> board game that you can play with people that's just hours of setup. Eternal setup. setup. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes yeah. on and on and on. No, no, no. It's so fun. Trust me. You're going <laughs> to so, so good. <laughs> I would be interested in that. You won't want to do anything else after you play this game. That yeah. always but, weirds me out when I hear... Do you ever hear those, like... Sorry, we'll go back to that in a second. But just, do you ever hear those like ads that they play on podcasts sometimes where it's like, Best Fiends is so addictive. Once you start playing it, you're never going to be able to stop playing it. There's endless levels and it'll keep you going forever. Mm. And I'm like, why would anybody play that on purpose <laughs> knowing that? Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel. I know that if I download a certain, like, there are some phone games I'm like, I can't, I can't even get involved with that. No. Yeah. But so this fake game idea, if you told me it was so fun, I'd be like, I don't know, man, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll just say it's it's pretty fun. Like, it's a normal amount. But anyway, so I went to bed, and then the next day I felt really terrible because Adam was so into it. He's like, no, you have to keep playing. And But I was literally falling asleep while this was happening. And the next day I'm like, Steven, please, like, oh my gosh. I feel like Adam hates me now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, you, you know, you sat through three hours of setup like i think he understands that you were just tired i don't think he did understand. does it always take three hours to set up yeah i don't know but he's like this is the best game ever it's so fun wow I mean, so you had to have been like talking a lot and taking breaks and like watching a movie most of it right yeah i bet that's what you know it was just like set up and he was explaining Rachel, okay on your turn we you know this you and this. we know you were probably cooking do you want me to get steven in I, here i bet it was like oh let me make my chickpea dip yeah you like finished cooking one meal and you were like you know what i think i'm gonna actually start the next meal as well no, and i wish i'm also gonna oh and i have gifts for everyone round of gifts <laughs> and it's like another hour and- rachel sucks she's always cooking for us and giving us presents <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're really uh, I hate it. Really making me sound like a bad friend over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes forever because it's so fun. Anyway, wow, so three hours, huh? To set it up, yeah, it was a really long time. Just to play go fish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like wouldn't say. Oh, I do have another story, which is one of the like the first or second. No, yeah, maybe the first or second time that we hung out with our friends Sarah and Darwin. <laughs> We were playing a board game that I had gotten before and played with some people, and it was pretty easy to understand, I thought. So I was, like, explaining it to them, and it's a quick game. Like, you set it up and you play it in maybe 45 minutes. I call that a quick game. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good link. Well, set up and played, sure. That's a great (laughs) link. Yeah, and explain how to do it and everything. So anyway, I was trying to explain it, and I was explaining it, and Sarah, like, she was so confused. She didn't know what I was talking about. She kept not getting it at all and since this was literally the first time I'd hung out with her apart from meeting at a party I was thinking like was my impression of her way off like what is wrong with her (laughs) 
<laughs> but then, then when I was texting with her later, she was like, oh, yeah, I was really high. <laughs> uh, but you thought my impression of her was a person with, like, average intelligence. I yeah. thought she was a normal, <laughs> smart person. Yeah. I thought, what is going on? I have played this game, and I had played it with my family, and they don't have a very good attention span for games either. I thought that I was either doing the worst job ever explaining how to play this simple board game or that she just, like, was Mm. really an idiot. So you needed to be high, too. When she told me that, I was so relieved. I'm like, oh, thank God. What if that's what happens at the end of 1984? Like, Winston comes at O'Brien and is like, nothing you've been saying makes any sense. And O'Brien's like, oh, that, oh, yeah, I was just high the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) This is why you shouldn't torture people when you're stoned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, O'Brien, not again. (laughs) Typical O'Brien. Yeah, with his far out ideas. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I was so relieved when I found that out because that was a time when there was like the biggest disconnect between me and another person trying to explain something. And it never occurred to you that she was just like on a substance no it didn't occur to me (laughs) i was like what is happening what is happening (laughs) okay well yeah the books so the book's almost over so did i I mean (laughs) what what i just had another thought did i tell you what what i what i said to caitlin when we were baking cookies um on christmas eve fuck you no it's not even that funny but well i was high (laughs) And we were baking cookies, and you know how, like, you're mostly pretty chill, but then Caitlin at one point suggested, (laughs) she said, well, why don't we cut the recipe in half? And I said, no, no, like, as though she had suggested, like, well, why don't we just jump out the window right now? Come on. (laughs) Like, I legitimately freaked out and (laughs) just had this terrible reaction. She was like, okay, God, we won't cut it in half. Like, chill out. But then did she still do it when you weren't looking? No, we made the full recipe. Wow. Jackie knows how to get her way, doesn't she? Yeah. It felt so important at that moment. I was like, no, no. (laughs) We can't do that. Damn. That's my new ad lib. That's pretty funny. It's a silly thing. But no, I've never had that experience before. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. I'm not much of a drug head. Anyway, so O'Brien says to Winston, like, all right, well, look, I've destroyed your body. You've been through all these indignities. Is there any— Bod. What? Destroyed your bod. Bod. Sorry. I've destroyed your bod. Is there any, like, degradation you haven't suffered? And Winston thinks, and he says, I haven't betrayed Julia. I would have been like, (laughs) nope, nope, nothing else. And he says, I haven't (laughs) betrayed Julia. And and O'Brien's like, interesting. Yeah, you haven't. All right, hey, be right back. (laughs) So he leaves him alone for a while. Time to get my Betray Julia machine. (laughs) Yeah, why would you say that? Been like, actually, there's one thing you haven't done to me, and it's this. Um, You haven't given me cake and cookies and forced me to eat the whole (laughs) thing like Bruce Bogtrotter. Sweat and blood. So he, like, gets his rotten teeth out, and he gets a new set of dentures, and he gets, like, fattened up, and he's gaining his strength, and his hair's starting to grow back, and they put some ointment Mm. on his ulcer, so they're just, like, bringing him back. Oh, no. And then O'Brien comes in, and he's like, all right, room 101. Winston is like, I don't want to go in there, and O'Brien's like, too bad. So they come in. (laughs) (laughs) What's the point of saying that? Yeah, right. (laughs) These people can do anything they want to. Oh, did we? I'm sorry. I didn't realize I didn't ask your preference. (laughs) Just say when. (laughs) Just say when. (laughs) He's like knocking his teeth out. Just say when. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So is this good? Is this good? It's like the guy with the pepper grinder or the cheese grinder at Olive Garden. Yeah. (laughs) Man, some people go crazy with that cheese, too. Really? And you know they will not stop until you stop them. 
You want some spaghetti with your cheese? Have they said that to you before? No, but they could have if I had been to all the. I Garden. feel like that would devastate you. Really? You think if a yeah, waiter like anxiety. lightly mocked you, you'd be fine? Uh, I think you'd be like, I have to leave. Hasn't that happened before? Waiters always mocked me. I feel like I could think of a couple of different times I've like been somewhere with you and had some kind of food thing happen. Some kind of waiter make fun of him. Yeah, they're all mean to me. But anyway, let's go ahead. All terribly mean. They've all conspired against me. So previously when when O'Brien had said, ask me any question you want, and then Winston asked him questions, and every time O'Brien was like, I'm not going to tell you, one of the questions was, what's in room 101? And O'Brien says, now, Winston, you know what's in room 101. Everyone knows what's in room 101. And then he just leaves it at that. Do you know, Theo? (laughs) Uh, Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Are you telling me you don't You don't know? know? Are you serious? (laughs) That's embarrassing. Uh, (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh Uh-huh. I could tell you if I felt like it. Yeah, he's just not (laughs) really into it right now. He doesn't feel like it. So he brings him in, and O'Brien says, here's what's in room 101, Winston. What's in room 101 is the worst thing in the world. And that's different for everyone. But for you, it's rats. And he brings out a cage. One section of the cage has two rats in it, and one section has, like, a a mask, for lack of a better word. Like, you'll put your head in this cage. It's a gomjabar. He's gomjabarring him. It's pain. It's pain. That's what's in room 101. (laughs) (laughs) Timothy Chalamet would be able to handle room 101, no problem. No problem. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he's going to put his head in this thing, and then Winston will flip a lever, and then the rats will jump onto his face and eat him, which, as we remember from the previous episode— Whenever Winston saw a rat or, like, thought that he saw a rat, he freaked out. Yeah, he's got some kind of weird memory about it. He's, like, not into that. Here's the thing. I'm not afraid of rats at all. Like, not at all. I still don't but I be also, Yeah, I also wouldn't want them to eat me alive. Hmm. So, yeah. and O'Brien <laughs> says, like— Everything that's in this room, like, for some people, it's, like, a horrible death by drowning or fire. For some people, it's something, you know, that isn't even fatal at all. And it's like, well, why can't I have that one? Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> only scared of one, things that hurt or kill me in this case. Well, I'm scared of cockroaches. Those probably couldn't kill me. Yeah. Like, if there was a ghost and it was really nice, I wouldn't be scared of it. But if it was, like, a mean ghost— I mean, if it was just rude, I guess I wouldn't be scared, but I wouldn't like it. But if it was trying to hurt me, I'd be scared. Well, yeah, a rude ghost wouldn't be in room 101. It would be a, oh it would be a scary ghost. <laughs> you got this, like, insult comic ghost. <laughs> or, like, I talked about those people with uh, cotton ball phobias on an episode. It might have been a Patreon. It would be a room full of cotton balls. Yeah, it would have been a room full of cotton balls for some people. Like What I'm we not- need to do, if you live in this society, you need to cultivate a reputation of being really afraid of cotton balls. Of cotton balls, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not saying it's like the trauma Olympics, right? Like your phobia is not any less valid than my phobia, but if your phobia is of cotton balls, yeah, it's less valid. Whoa. It's less valid. I mean, I mean, oh a God. phobia is like always supposed to be like an irrationally it's irrational. fear, right? So It's not irrational to not want your face chewed off by rats. Yeah. yeah. So being afraid of a rat in general is a phobia, I guess, but being afraid of a rat eating you alive, totally normal. (laughs) That's the fire the cannon motto. (laughs) More like a phobia spelled F-A-U-X. F-A-U-X. Oh. That's like a good band name, Theo. You should keep that in mind. I've been wanting to start a band. I just couldn't come up with a name. Right. Or (laughs) F-O-E, phobia. Oh, Oh my gosh. It's getting even better. Even different. Or P-H-O. Phobia. Phobia. <laughs> it's already spelled P-H-O. 
<laughs> but you're going to get an accent mark over it, right? <laughs> I didn't even realize that. <sighs> and you didn't either. It took you a minute. <laughs> Who are you pointing at, girl? You. Me, Rachel? You, Rachel. No, I did. I was just waiting a comedically <laughs> appropriate amount of time before saying something. <laughs> All right, Rachel, just for saying that, I'm going to make it even longer in the edit. Uh-huh. No, she wants it to be longer. Yeah, I don't care. Okay, anyway, um, faced with having this thing put on his head and having his face eaten by rats, Winston instantly turns on Julia and says, He's like, I wish Julia was being eaten by rats and not me. What? He says, do it to her. Do it to her. I don't even care. Just do anything to her, but don't do it to me. And <laughs> at that, O'Brien says, all right. And then he shuts the cage and Winston's allowed to go. What? But they already knew that they would, they were already talking about how they're going to betray each other. But they're like, we won't betray each other in our hearts. Yeah. So why but, didn't he just yell it, but not feel it, you know? Because he couldn't. He had to feel it. It wasn't possible for him it. to... <laughs> Okay, well, you're whatever. So this ends. He gets put back out in society, which I'm like, why does nobody else get put back in society? Because it was a challenge. The big, they want to be able to prove to themselves we can do this to anyone. Even a main character. So this was the first time they did it? It seems like they might have done it to O'Brien, honestly. Whoa. Winston might have been his protege, you know? Whoa. We don't know. I never thought of that. Yeah. That's so, cool. I mean, O'Brien is like. Isn't that why he says he was? That they got him a long time ago. Yeah. You know, he didn't give context, but. I thought that was just a creepy thing he said. No. <laughs> creepy contextless thing. <laughs> just for no reason. Yeah. That's my headcanon. I think that this happened to O'Brien and that's why he was able to, to recognize it in Winston. Because he's like, ah, let me see if I can break this guy. He also tells him, you know, we're going to kill you at some point. Like, right. we're going to shoot you in the head. But who knows how long. You might live out in the world for decades before we get you or we might get you tomorrow. Oh, that sucks. I'm not sure that this exact thing did happen to Winston because... <laughs> to O'Brien? Sorry, to O'Brien. Because he says, like... Even if we let you go, even if we let you live for a while, there will be nothing remaining in you. You will be completely destroyed. You'll have lost all your capability to feel anything at all. And yes, O'Brien doesn't seem to, like, have a whole lot of human emotions, but he's at least functional. Winston, when they let him out, is a shell of a man, and all he does is just sit and drink gin all day. Mm -hmm. So they succeeded in making him— a believer, but they didn't succeed in making him someone who could, like, be a member of the inner party and do this to someone else. Because he yeah. still seems to be a thought criminal. And so at one point, he's out, and then he sees Julia. So Julia had also made it out. She's also, of course, been horribly tortured. They see each other, and they oh, go he, for a little walk. By the way, Winston, at this point, he's constantly going to the Chestnut Tree Cafe, which I don't know if you remember, Theo— we told you in like the first part, you might have edited it out, but it's like the place where pseudo dissidents kind of hang out. Mm -hmm. They all hang out in one place. Yeah, it has a reputation. <laughs> it's got a reputation as being the place where like kind of artsy, like anti-government people if go. You're not, you don't really fit in. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the cantina. Yeah, it is. Like the cantina, yeah. Did you know that? So, you know the, the style of music they play at the cantina? Do you guys know what it's called? It's not called cantina jazz. It is called jizz. That is canonically what that Star Wars jazz is called. Huh. You can look it up on Wikipedia. Who came up with that? George Lucas. Why? <laughs> what explanation could he possibly have? It's space jazz. It's jizz. Shouldn't it be jays? Space jazz? Jays? No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not a portmanteau. <laughs> well, why is it jizz? 
Why isn't everything else jizz, Jackie? Don't clip, don't clip what I just said and put that somewhere else out of context. <laughs> Why is it jizz? I'm Googling Star Wars space jizz. I think you're going to regret that. No, I don't. The first thing that comes up is the Wikipedia, Wikipedia article, jizz. It says jizz was a genre of music. Jizz whalers were musicians who specialized ah! in the genre. Max Rebo and his band were popular jizz whalers. I hate George Lucas. Well, it probably doesn't mean the same thing out in space. Jizz whalers doesn't mean the same. What does it mean on Earth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just mean jizz. All right, whatever. So, Do you know what the members of the Max Rebo band are They're not called, called jizz whalers? No, I mean, they are called jizz whalers, but like you are able to find like the names of them. There was something really funny where they're like, here's a list of some famous jizz whalers, and they have like terrible names. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. Okay, so you know what that makes me think of? I'm thinking of the other spelling of whalers, like, you know, like hunters people of who whales. catch whales. Yeah. And now I'm imagining like <laughs> sperm whales. Whoa. Right? Jackie neutralized it. I neutralized it. Jizz whalers are just sperm whales. Okay. Evar Orbis and his galactic jizz whalers were a band founded by Ever Orbis featuring Max Rebo, Cy Snoodles, and Droopy McCool. Aww. Oh shit! That. Okay, which one of us is Because I know we're going to decide which one. I call Droopy. <laughs> I'll be size Noodles. <laughs> Jack, you can be Max Rebo. <laughs> oh, I wanted to be Droopy. Uh, okay, you can be Droopy. Theo can be Max what? Rebo. <laughs> Thanks. What on earth? Cool, moving on. Wait, but Max Rebo is the one in charge, right? He's the keyboard player. Yeah, he's the one in charge. Okay, so as the one in charge, I get to be Droopy, whatever. <laughs> As the one in charge, I get to be not the one in charge. As Max Rebo, I declare myself Droopy McCool. No, you have to come up with another name, Droopy. <laughs> I liked your name too much. God, that was my 16th one already, Max. Come on, I come running out of words. That would be such a power move. If what? If I was just like, I changed my name to Rachel, so you're going to have to come up with a different name. And if I actually had to? But in my head, it's like Droopy originally was called like, I don't know. Richard. And then every time Max kept being like, nope, that's my name now too. And then all of a sudden, like after many, many iterations and of it's, this. It's like when you change your password so you can't go back to the same one for nine months. And then it becomes more and more unrecognizable. And by the end, he's Droopy McCool. And Max is like, nope, that one's mine too. And he's like, I don't have anything else. Yeah, I picture like he comes up with Droopy McCool because he thinks Max will definitely not take this name. Nobody's going to want that name. Well, he could have called himself Cooley McDroop. And nobody would have wanted that for sure. Oh. Theo's even more interested now. Cooley McDroop. The McDrooplet. <laughs> that would be his nickname. Yeah. Y'all know what druplets are, right? That's the only trivia I know. Yeah, the yeah, little things little on a raspberry. a raspberry. You never stop talking about it, God. It's the only trivia I know. Well, now you know that what jazz in the Star Wars universe is called. So start saying that to women. I don't want to know Hinge. that. Yeah, Jizzy McDrooplet. What was it? <laughs> What? <laughs> what is the music called or what is the musician called? Jizzy McDruplet for both. No. <laughs> Jizzy McDruplet. Okay. Um, Let's well, move on. Oh, that, that's going to be the new thing I said. Instead of wow, I'm just be like, wow. Jizzy McDruplet. <laughs> Hate that. Hate that. I'm scared that that has to be the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Writing it down. I don't think so. I don't think anybody's going to want to click on that. I don't think so. 
All right. Well, let's go back to the book where there is no such thing as Jizzy McDruplet. Okay, so he meets up with he meets up with Julia. He meets up with Julia and they go for a walk and it doesn't matter anymore that they're together because Big Big Brother knows that they've broken these two down, so it doesn't it doesn't affect them at all, and they can just, like, be around each other now. Oh, but. Uh, there's one other thing I forgot to say. Wait. Okay. O'Brien was talking to Winston in the prison, and he's like, Winston's like, oh, you know, love will prevail, blah, blah, blah. And O'Brien says, uh, no, actually, like, our scientists are working on that. We're going to totally get rid of the sex drive <laughs> in humans really soon. Whoa. Yeah. Like, like you knew so we close. were trying to get rid of it already, but we're really close to actually getting rid of it. And pretty soon, every baby is just going to be born in a tube. Mm. Yeah. Love a good tube. But, like, people could still be in love. No, they can't. Even if they are not interested in sex. Yes, nope, they can. Nope. No, they're working on taking <laughs> that away, too. How do you take away uh, love? But the the feeling of love is more complicated. No, it's not. To get rid of. I, I mean, getting rid of the sex drive is hard, too, but yeah. Asexual people can find love. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. And they do. All the time. And they do. We love mm-hmm. our asexual yeah. listeners. We really do. Okay. All right. So they meet up. Julia is full of contempt for Winston They say to each other, I betrayed you. They both know it. And they talk about how they each had something horrible done to them that caused them to denounce the other one. And they say it wasn't just in words. Like, in that moment, I really wanted that thing to happen to you so that it wouldn't happen to me. And it's like— You don't have to say that. (laughs) I mean, maybe I'm just a bad person, but I feel like I could have easily just kind of, like, talked myself out of that. I would have been like— Oh, yeah. I didn't really mean it. Yeah, Winston tried to convince himself that he didn't really mean it, and he just said it because he was trying to, like, avoid the rats. But then he thinks about it more, and he's like, no, I really, in that moment, I really did mean it. (laughs) Let me go tell Julia that. Um, (laughs) So he does. (laughs) And I don't know. I just feel like you could easily convince yourself You could double-think yourself into not thinking it. You could double-think yourself, yeah. Yeah, I'm confused. If they're having this conversation, did the party actually succeed in brainwashing these two? Yeah. They're out of love they're with each other. They're not into each other at all anymore. Should they be discussing what happened to them? Yeah, it doesn't matter. They say the party doesn't care because it knows that it has completely won. It has completely neutralized these people. Like, they're so broken that they can't do any damage at all. Yeah, they're not attracted to each other or anything. Like, Winston says, yeah, we could totally, like, lay down on the ground right here and have sex. But the thought of it makes him sick. Like, he just doesn't want to. They never see each other again, probably. And Mm. he goes back to the cafe and they find out there was a huge victory. Oceania defeated Eurasia in Africa. And, you know, it's like it's on all the screens and everyone's like running around outside and cheering. And Winston is he's been, you know, drinking this terrible gin. His eyes are watering like. He starts thinking, of course Oceania defeated Eurasia. How could we lose because we have Big Brother as our hero? And he, like, looks at Big Brother and he's like, wow, look at that. He's he's so awesome. Like, I can tell that he, he has love in his eyes for all of us. Oh, wow. And then he's, like, he's still listening. And Winston's mind, it says... In his heart or in his brain, he's thinking like, oh, I'm back in in the ministry of love after I've been tortured and I've been absolved of all my sins. And then he's envisioning himself like confessing in front of everyone and he's envisioning Mm -hmm. a guard walking him through a corridor and then he's envisioning himself like being shot in the head. And the fantasy is basically just this like absolution, like the end of struggle, the end of like fighting against his own brain and like wondering what's real and the end of feeling guilty and the end of feeling furtive. He's confessed everything. His soul is as white as snow. 
the last four words of the book are, he loved Big Brother. Hmm. Yeah, he's like crying and looking at the portrait and he's thinking, it's over now. I'm not going to fight anymore. Yeah. And that's the end. Wow. He's really grown as a character. <laughs> yeah, that was such a great arc that Winston We all had. have to grow up sometime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he found love. So <laughs> He found true love for the first time. Uh-huh. He found love and he lost it. Time for him to write a great album. He found love and then he lost the capacity for love. Great. <laughs> no, he loves Big Brother is what I mean. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the thing is... The book doesn't actually have a sad ending because after this, there's an appendix. <gasps> and the appendix, I mean, Winston, no, Winston has a bad ending. He probably gets shot in the head after this. But <laughs> but Rachel hates Winston, so it's fine. The appendix is called The Principles The principles of Newspeak. I don't want him to get shot in the head. I just don't want to read things from his perspective anymore. <laughs> it says... Um, and this is the, the first sentence. Newspeak was the official language of Oceania and had been devised to meet the ideological needs of Ingsoc or English socialism. And then it just kind of talks about the history of Newspeak. And they say like, yeah, they thought that it would be the language that everyone uses by 2050. And here's, you know, they had uh, three different parts of Newspeak. There was like A vocabulary, which is everyday stuff. B vocabulary, which is words like ingsoc or mini love like combination words mm. and then there's c vocabulary which Mocking is like Jay. specialized yeah <laughs> specialized scientific terms that only scientists would use so anyway it just goes through and talks about that and it explains you know the reasoning behind why they did that and that's the end of the book honestly that's not a terrible idea that would be a kind of cool way to like teach people vocabulary don't you think it's like, all right, we don't have to really worry about you learning this word that relates to, like, electromagnetic field theory. That's in the C vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Today you're learning about socks. Mm. I mean, that kind of is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But you don't know. So it has a happy ending. Why? It says this is what Newspeak was. Mm -hmm. It was something that Oceania used, and they thought that it would replace general talk, whatever, old speak by this year, and they did it in this particular way. Mm -hmm. It's all in the past tense. So you know for a fact, like, the party lost. They're, they're gone now by the time the appendix is written. Maybe it's the preface for the new Newspeak dictionary. Yeah, maybe Bigger Brother <laughs> took over Newer now. Speak. And is yeah. like, you can have all your words back. We don't care about Bigger that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't know what it is, but we know the party lost and they're gone and there's no Oceania. So George Orwell died of tuberculosis that he could have easily had treated. Like, this shouldn't have been a fatal disease in 1949, 1950, but he just didn't treat it. It was neglected. Sound a little judgy there. It's true. I mean, he... He just kind of retreated and and just kind of let himself go a little bit. Yeah, he but. let himself go all the way to death. <laughs> That's not usually yeah. how people use that phrase. God, you really got to get back into shape. You're dead. You call your office and you're like, hey, I can't come in. Sorry, my grandma let herself go a little bit. <laughs> so I have to write a eulogy. What a shame right before beach season. That's <laughs> oh, so funny because that's such a judgy phrase. Like that's why I said it, like, because you were saying I was judging him. <laughs> anyway, um, but my impression of him through reading about his life was, like, that he was just a, a pretty bitter person. Like, he had a lot of anger and resentments. Do you think that he ended the book 
and the appendix used to not be written in the past tense. Mm. It was written in the present tense. No. But the editors were like, uh, if we just, like, change a few words right here, that'll, like, totally change the meaning of this. No, I think this is – I don't think they would have done that. I'm thinking, like, uh, Charlotte Bronte with Wuthering Heights, like, after Emily died – Charlotte being like, I don't know, this was a little too messed up. No, if they had done that, it would have come out, and we would know about it. You think so? It would have been very obvious. (laughs) Yes. What you think, but how do we know We have his draft. (laughs) Maybe the dinosaurs put that there. Ever think about that? (laughs) Some liars. I guess I've never seen it. Maybe it doesn't exist. But this is, the interesting thing to me is that this is the same conceit used in The Handmaid's Tale. It ends, and I think it also begins with scholars in the future uh, saying, right. we found these cassette tapes from a woman who lived in, whatever it's called, Jericho or something. Oh, yeah. you're thinking of the Blair Witch Project. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. The Blair Witch Project yeah, yeah, yeah. was cassette like tapes. Like they found the tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has a happy ending because it's not happening anymore. The Blair Witch Project has a happy ending? Look, those teenagers let themselves go a little bit. You basically, yeah. You basically, you don't know what happens to the main character of The Handmaid's Tale, but you know that the terrible society is gone now. Well, that's just the nature of things. All societies are going to go away at some point, even the good ones. This too shall pass. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Are there any good societies? I mean, Mm, There have been, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Theo. Name the best societies. (laughs) He's the best of us. Who's going <laughs> yeah. Like Jizzy, like he dies and we're just like, that Jizzy McDribble, he was the best of all of us. <laughs> Pour one out for Jizzy. Okay. Gosh, that's so nasty. Theo, what so do you think? nasty. You haven't read the book, but you liked hearing about it. Did he? Here's what I love. I love when a book presents something very significant and then later on in the book, it's just like, Oops, never mind. That wasn't important at all. Like what? What are you what are you referring to? That book that O'Brien gives him? Oh. Uh, what the hell? Well, maybe we skipped over it too much, but it wasn't unimportant. <laughs> they're manufacturing their own opposition. That's the whole point is they control they're trying to control everything in society. Right, so they're like but come on. if we don't tell people that there's a secret book and a brotherhood, they're gonna actually write one themselves. But if we say it exists, then they'll just flock to this and we can catch them. I guess to me it's more interesting before that, before the twist. <laughs> the twist. Well, if they say, like, we don't care about right versus wrong, we only care about power, they have to show that they know what right and wrong are or else it doesn't mean anything that they don't care about it. You think so? Yeah. I think that's a cool twist. Theo thinks it's a bad twist. I think it's a bogus twist. That's one of the things I like. Somebody about just it. sneezed that out of their fucking nose. <laughs> like, they have to publish a book saying, like, here's... Here's all the good ideas, and then we don't care about them. Hmm. Hmm. That's true. Well, no, it's not true. I don't believe that. <laughs> that was a fast, some fast character development. Some fast double think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was thinking of like some corporate spinoffs that could be based off of this world. So like maybe you'll go to McDonald's and you'll get like a McDouble think. <laughs> A McDouble thing. That's pretty funny, Jackie. You're thinking of like promotions with the with the book. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. What else could there be? Um, name some things from the book. <laughs> I'll just look up things from 1984. <laughs> well, here, here's what it would be. It, you can combine Big Brother and Big Mac by just, you have two people say, you have one person say brother and one person say Mac at the same time. So let's try that. Big Brother. Mac. Hey, we did it. Okay, and I'll edit that on top of each other, and that's a great portmanteau. Oh. Oh. Big Mac. I don't think there are enough. We should have thought of doing this before. (laughs) That's the problem. 
Yeah. Well, I know you love these gimmicks, but all right. Well, um, what were you going to say, Rachel? Uh, I was just going to talk about fascism real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for letting me do my thing first. Okay. So (laughs) this is what I was going to say. People get confused (laughs) about the difference between fascism and authoritarianism. George Orwell specifically hated fascism, but he was also against authoritarianism. And the book is— Why don't you, you like, just tell us the definition of those two things, since a lot of people do conflate them. Right. So fascism is a form of authoritarianism. So it's, like, within the circle. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people use them interchangeably, and they shouldn't. Because, so authoritarianism, you can kind of tell from the word what that means. It's like when, you know, you have a government that's reaching into all these different aspects of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And it, like, reduces your freedom, and there's no, like checks on the power of the government to do whatever it wants is basically what that is. Yeah. Fascism, Roger Griffin, he's like a, he's a British guy, a British thinker, let's call him. And his definition of fascism has been the easiest for me to remember in terms of the difference. He says that fascism is palingenetic ultranationalism. Wait, what? Now I understand. Palingenetic? Palingenetic, yeah. Now it's all become clear. Palingenetic ultranationalism. I heard you, but what does it mean? <laughs> I'm about to explain. Okay. No, just say it again. I'll get it a third time. Okay, palingenetic ultranationalism. <laughs> Got so, it. So, okay. You know what nationalism is? It's when you're saying like, all I care about is my people, my nation, my group to the exclusion of all others. We're the best. We're the only ones we care about. Right. And paling- palingenesis is saying there was a time in the past that was good and things have decayed. They are now bad and we're going to make them good again. Like in the chimes, hearkening back to a golden age. That's a sin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's palingenesis. So palingenetic ultranationalism. So fascism is when you have authoritarianism, ideally, or they want authoritarianism, I guess, because they're saying, We have this one group that I am in. We are the best group. We're the only group that I care about. And things used to be good for us, but some people got involved and we've had an age of decadence and decline and things are bad but we're going to make them good again okay and there's also a tendency toward a strong leader so also i mean definitionally fascism is right wing so that is also funny when people try to call like left-wing authoritarians fascists because it's like i mean part of the definition of the word is that they can't be but like Mm. things can be bad that aren't Like, other things can also be bad, but people just seem to use fascism to use to mean a bad thing. But anyway, hmm. so I just wanted to explain to people, if you want to call people fascists, now you know what it means, if you didn't know before. Okay. So it's like kind of the same as socialist. <laughs> Which is the same as communist. So it's like anarchy? <laughs> it's yeah. the Democratic Party of the United States, right? Am I right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's Satan. <sighs> right. Okay. But anyway, so now you get it. Now you know. So all fascists are authoritarians, but not all authoritarians are fascists. Yes, basically. Or I and mean— honestly, we're all people. Yeah, they want— <laughs> <laughs> We're fascist blind. Yeah, they're happy— Basically, fascists are happy to have an authoritarian government if it's saying, hey, you guys are the special boys and girls, and, you know, these minorities are bad, and they've ruined things for us, so let's get rid of them. Let's put this in the context of podcasts. Okay. What's the most popular (laughs) podcast right now? The Joe Rogan Experience? That or like My Favorite Murder or something. 
All right. So let's just go with my favorite murder. We haven't talked about that. Let my favorite <laughs> murder. They're in power. They're having a great time. They're on top of the world. Everybody loves them. Fire the cannon comes along. Now we've kind of knocked them down a peg. They're thinking to themselves, oh, you know what? I really liked being in power. Uh-huh. Or maybe I'm still in power, but I want people to give me more power. So I'm going to tell them that fire the cannon is really threatening us. And mm-hmm. let's go ahead and wipe out fire the cannon so that me, my favorite murder. And their fans. And their fans. They said that? Let's imagine yeah, they, they did. They did. Okay. No, they, this is true. <laughs> That's why we haven't grown as fast as we want. It's because of all the other podcasts. It's fascists. <laughs> yeah. that, that is fascism, right? That is making an enemy of another group and anybody who aligns themselves with that group and trying to wipe them out totally so that you can have all of the power. Uh, but you have to say that there was a glorious past and we need a rebirth to have that happen again. Jackie described the glorious past. Yeah. I'm well, in the sentence she just said, she left it out. But I'm saying Before you have to fire have, the cannon, there was a glorious past. You have to have those two aspects. You have to have the mm. glorious past and you have to have the we're the good guys. And you also have to have the glorious ambassador. <laughs> the glorious ambassador. Yeah. Listen to our Patreon exclusives. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, another interesting aspect that you see is like uh, there's this idea that the enemy is very, very powerful, but also very, very weak, which I don't know if you've seen that before, but you get a lot of like terrible right wing, like horrible alt right guys who will say, you know, like, oh, you know, left wingers, they control everything like they control the government and Hollywood and this and that. And then they're also like they're a bunch of soy boys. They're pathetic. Like I could easily defeat them. (laughs) Honestly, I do think that kind of everybody does this, though, because leftists will also be like, you know, the Republicans are trying to destroy everything. They're going to destroy the whole earth because they don't care about climate change. But also they're so stupid, you know, like but we can probably believe both of those things. Or they're compensating for something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, every everybody vilifies and knocks down their enemies. It's it's there's a yeah, there's the combination of the enemy being very strong and very weak at the same time. There is a difference. I do think uh I, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much. Like I don't, we don't need to get too specifically political. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to tell people, now you know, mm-hmm. I have found this to be the most useful definition of fascism for me. Because before that, it was kind of hard because I could say, okay, well, I know these, I know, you know, Italy in the 30s and 40s, they were fascists for sure. And then, the, you know, some of these other people were fascists, but like... It was kind of hard for me to keep in my head what are the requirements, and now I know. See, but you're a person who cares about definitions. Uh, I think a lot of people <laughs> will be like, oh, I don't care about that definition. Like, my my version of the word fascist means something different. Yeah. Well, George Orwell <laughs> would agree with me. Yeah. Well, let's talk about if we like the book, because I saw that on Goodreads several years ago, both Jackie and I had given it four stars, and I'm curious. No. You did. No, I gave it two stars. I recently upped it to four. What? What? Yeah. So I still don't this love the book. This is a four-star book. book for I, you? Girl, I was going to bump it down to two. Maybe I made it three. It was two originally. You guys do stuff on Goodreads all the time? Yeah. All the time, yeah. Wow. I log my books, almost all my books. <laughs> What's your account's names? You got to you gotta tell us what your account names are. Promote our Goodreads? It's our actual names. Just look at our names. Uh, how can people find us? Um, no, Rachel, it's... I rated it four stars. I've always rated it four stars. <laughs> That's never changed. 
No, I think I had rated it two because I didn't remember it that well. And I was like, yeah, I don't. I remember that I didn't have a- f- You gave it four. Originally, I rated it two. No, no, no. I'm saying right now it's four because you said you thought maybe it was three. And okay. Saying, no, no, no. Yeah, I think I actually had this thought like the other day. I was like, I gave it three and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it four. And then I brought it back down to three and then I think I moved it back up to four. Here's the thing. I think that- It gets um, caught up in a lot of stupid arguments by people who don't really understand it that well. And therefore, I feel this innate desire not to align myself with the kind of person who really likes 1984. Yeah. There's one thing from Goodreads Goodreads I want to read to you that kind of exemplifies what I'm— (laughs) Goodweeds. Sounds like something else you'd be interested in. Uh, No, 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 no. (laughs) Um, It does exemplify what I was saying, though. Hold on. So a lot of people read 1984 and love it because they think that it's saying something it's not. But a lot of them also read it and hate it because they think it's saying something it's not. Mm -hmm. And this one was pretty funny. So this is a one-star review that someone left last year. So I needed a break from fantasy, so I read a book I, I knew I'd hate. Bad idea. This is the only thing people use to say communism is bad. So as a leftist, I needed to know why. This book is full of inaccuracies and falsehoods, and it is so clear that George Orwell had not read any actual theory and thought the USSR wasn't actually communist, which it wasn't. Was actually communist, which it wasn't. Zero stars. I hate this so much. Worst book ever. So she was coming at it saying, like, this is the only thing people use to say that communism is bad, so I had to come and see why communism is so bad in this book. And then she was, like, disappointed to find that it wasn't about that and then blamed the book. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of blaming other people for not understanding the book, right? So this is, like, why I think it's just so frustrating. Um, But in the end, I did end up liking the writing style. I I thought that it just kind of made sense. It made sense, like, logically as a book. Because there were, like, I will say again, I did not remember a single thing from the first time I read this. And yet, by the time I would, like, you know, read a, a section of it, record an episode on it, I would kind of like naturally pick out things that would be important later without even, you know, necessarily realizing they would be important later because he has a way of kind of just gives you the clues. He gives you the clues, but it's not obvious. Like, he doesn't beat you over the head with it like we talked about in Agatha Christie where it's like, ah, another person with a high-bridge nose or something like that. Mm. All of the things kind of end up making sense except for Julia having her arm in a sling. That's my one complaint. That never gets explained. Is It's healed the next time he sees her? Yeah. Wow. Now that's a mystery. Now that's a mystery. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just thought his, I thought his writing style was pretty clear. It was pretty clear to me what he was saying, at least. So I don't really get – I don't agree with the criticisms people give of the book where they're like, this was so confusing. I didn't understand it. It's like, no, it, it made sense. Like, you just have to read it. Hmm. What do you think, Rachel? Uh, Three stars this time. Okay. I didn't like it as much. I feel like it's possible I was either influenced by the book's reputation to give it an extra star or I liked it more. It might have been – no, you know what I think it was? I think that I read it in high school and I really liked it. Oh, we were so when opposite. I put it on my Goodreads, I was like, oh, I really liked this and gave it four stars. So for me, my rating system is five is I love it and I'd happily reread it anytime. Four is I really liked it and I would reread it if I didn't have something else I really wanted to read. Three is I liked it, not interested in reading it again. Two is Hmm. it's okay. And one is dislike. So I'd give it three. Okay. I'll say I like it, but I'm not interested in reading it ever again. Yeah, I think my rating system is a little different. (laughs) And there are parts that I think are good, 
And there are parts that I think are not good Mm -hmm. because of how poorly he did some things in the book. I just don't want to give it four stars. But I think it's fine for it to be a classic, I guess. There could be, I don't know. We need something else to get in this niche, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I wish we had more. um, We should have more people on to talk about what their Goodreads rating systems mean to them. Because Mm. (laughs) so mine doesn't make a lot of sense because for me, it's like five stars means this changed my life. And it's it's really difficult for any book to get that ever. Mm. Four stars is like, I think this book did a good job of what it was trying to get across. And even if I didn't necessarily love it. That is too big of a gap between those things. I know. (laughs) I know. Well, think about how bad one is going to be. Yeah, one is awful. I don't think I've ever given anything a one. This destroyed humanity. (laughs) I have. I've given a book a one. It was The Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Ogawa, which I think is because I loved revenge by her so much and i read this book and i would have stopped reading it but it was so short that i'm like i'm just gonna power through it's like 160 pages Mm. it's disgusting i hate it (laughs) see i just i don't think i've ever given anything a one if i really dislike something i give it a two if i'm just okay with it i give it a three four is like yeah this this was important this did a good job it doesn't necessarily mean i want to read it again no hotel iris was the one i hated not the housekeeper and the professor hotel iris well don't read it anyone unless you're freaking gross perv who hates women (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know there might be some some of you out there if that's the case then enjoy that recommendation if you're a gross perv who hates women i recommend hotel iris (laughs) we love all our listeners (laughs) okay wait what was your what was three stars for you three stars for me was like it made no impact on me whatsoever Oh, well, if you look at what Goodreads, when you hover over the stars, they literally tell you yeah, but five is love, four is really like, three is like. I'm a free thinker, man. You don't, you can't just pin your opinions on me. Well, that's a problem because the point of Goodreads is you're supposed to be able to look at the star rating and be like, oh, people are kind of saying that this is a like or this mm. is a really good. I prefer good. people to look at my profile and get to know me by how I rated something. It doesn't really matter about the book. <laughs> really? You think people are going to do yeah, that? Yeah, how snobby of you. How, like, do you do that to other self-centered. people? Self-centered. <laughs> you think my one rating on 1984 is going to have anything to do with what other people think of the book? There's like millions, hundreds of millions. If I look at your profile, I would not know that that's what that means. I wouldn't know that a five-star book is life-changing and a four-star book is like, eh, it was okay. You got to put that in your bio. It's okay. That's just how I like to do it. Why would I think that? <laughs> just tweet it out now so people know. <sighs> I'm going to tweet it. I'm going to say, here are our, if you check out our host's Goodreads accounts, here's how their rating systems go. <laughs> Rachel's makes sense. Jackie's is like <laughs> all over the place. But Rachel's doesn't even fit what Goodreads asks for. Yes, it does. It doesn't. It's different. What does Goodreads say? You said it's like very much like, then like a little bit, then somewhat agree. No, love, don't really agree. like, like, okay, dislike. Yeah. That's different than what you said, though. No, that's what I said. Go back. Play the tapes. That's pretty much what she said. Isn't that pretty much what Jackie said, too, though? Love, really like, like. No, Jackie said life-changing. That sounds like love. Like, so good (laughs) that I never give five stars. And then it was okay. Like, I see what the book was trying to do. That's four for her. I see what the book was trying to do. I didn't didn't really appreciate it. (laughs) No, not not okay. It means a book that I respect. Even if I didn't. Look, a lot of movies are like this for me. 
There Will Be Blood, a lot of like Paul Thomas Anderson movies, really good movies that I personally don't want to see again. I love Phantom Thread. That's one of my favorites. Five stars for me. I've seen Phantom Thread probably two or three times, but a lot of the other Paul Thomas Andersons that are very gritty. Little Miss, I never watch anything. (laughs) That's why you're too busy rewatching Phantom Thread. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson is Joshua's favorite director, so I've seen, like, all of his movies, and they're usually very, like, depressing. Phantom Thread's not. And I can understand that they're good movies. It's a happy ending. Very humorous happy ending. That's not an example of what I'm talking about. (laughs) We should talk about it for a Patreon exclusive. Do you think of Steven as Master Woodcock? And yourself as Alma. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> what a thing to That's ask a woman. <laughs> I know. That's the character's name. <laughs> is he more of a Master Woodcock type or a Jizzy McDruplet type? First one, then the other. <laughs> That's the new alpha male and beta male. <laughs> could, could you see that I had that written down and I was reading it? I had to write down Jizzy McDruplet so I would remember it. <laughs> I don't understand why that's such a weird question. Have you seen Phantom Thread? It's so sexual. <laughs> well, the movie is sexual. Do you call your boyfriend Master Woodcock? I didn't say do you call him that. I said do you consider him, <laughs> that character, and yourself to be the Alma character? No, I don't. Not at all. You Not don't, like, want to poison Steven every once in a while to bring him down a peg? Jackie, okay, Theo, you have to bleep all of that out. Oh, my God. But I can't bleep it out for myself. She spoiled it for me, Theo. Jackie, he said he's never seen it. That's not even a spoiler. Yes, it is. Don't say anything else. I've never seen it, and now I know that Master Woodcock gets his something poisoned. <laughs> he's going to forget everything, Rachel. You know he's going to forget everything. <laughs> he gets his something poisoned. He's going to forget everything except me saying, do you think Steven is Master Woodcock? <laughs> Jizzy, jizzy, jizzy. Every episode from now on, we need to, one person gets the Janet Jackson Award. One person is the Master Woodcock. One person is the Jizzy McDruplin. I think I'll be, I think I'll take Master Woodcock. <laughs> that seems like the best one. I mean, now. after, maybe the Janet Jackson. after you saying that, you're the Janet Jackson this time. Oh. That's good. As long as I'm not the Jizzy McDruplin. It is an honor to be Jizzy. <laughs> I don't think you understand our rating system. (laughs) (laughs) Jizzy is like life changing. (laughs) Five stars, Jizzy. Master Woodcock is like. You respect what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah, you see what he's trying to do, but you're not totally into it. You're not into it. Yeah. (laughs) There will be blood. That's one for sure. Whoa. (laughs) That's a one Mm. in your rating system? Oh, there's one thing that I wanted to tell you guys before we leave. Goodbye. No, it's not goodbye. Wait, okay, are we firing this book or not firing it? Oh, we got to keep I'm it. abstaining. It's the only thing people use to prove that communism is bad. <laughs> the only thing. Uh, yeah, everything else about communism is so good. This is the only Isn't that a funny review, though? Like, yeah. what, what misplaced anger? Now I don't know how to critique communism. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like she was saying, I'm a leftist, and I was trying to, like, examine my own beliefs critically. So I read 1984, and it turned out it didn't challenge my beliefs at all. <laughs> But, I I mean, it wasn't even specifically modeled after the USSR. Why did she say that in the review? No, it was a combo of, like, Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, and the UK. Yeah, so why did she say it misrepresented the USSR? Because that's what everybody uses to denounce communism. (laughs) Because people are wrong. Yeah, people are stupid. (laughs) All right. I'm firing people. The book can stay. Okay. I'm abstaining. I'm leaving it up to you guys. Jackie? Really? Yeah, I could see it. (sighs) Rachel, make a decision. You're always so indecisive. Not really. Usually I'm like, we're keeping this bad boy. It's just because, I don't know, if somebody's 
I would, okay, I'll, I'll keep it, but I could pretty easily fire it. If someone's like, here's a better book that has this message, mm. I'd fire mm-hmm. it. Are you firing it or not? I said I'll Jacko. keep it. Oh, Jacko? I'm asking, yeah. I guess I feel the same way as Rachel. I'm going to keep it because I think I liked it more than Rachel, but I still didn't. I definitely don't want to read it again. <laughs> yeah. I think there are elements, psychological elements to it that are important, more important than the political elements. I'll just say that. The psychological aspects were good. Yeah. I thought, okay, and this is crazy. I hated reading the torture scene, but I think that the like the dialogue between him and O'Brien is like the best part of the book. Yeah. You know what like I mean? It's, it is very, it's not just clever. Clever isn't the right word. It's um, it's psychologically intelligent. It's perceptive. It is because one person was able to write both of those characters. Yes. Yeah. I seriously went back and forth. Sometimes I was like, the part with Julia, I was thinking, this is a two-star book. And then this part I enjoyed. And yeah, I just kind of went back and forth. A lot of people on Goodreads said that. They were like, well, it's so misogynistic that I hate it. But it's like, I don't know. Is that a reason to hate? Like, obviously, you don't have to like reading those parts. But is does that make the book bad that the character is misogynistic? I mean, Orwell, the way that she's written is misogynistic, in my opinion, not just the way that Winston thinks of her. Yeah. But I mean, her character is very shallow. And so part of it for me, the reason I hated it or not hated it, the reason I disliked the Julia part is not because I was like, oh, misogyny, because I like a lot of books that have misogynistic characters, which happens when you read classic literature, it was because she's not fleshed out at all. So when you're reading this romance and relationship between the two of them, you don't feel real to me whatsoever. Yeah, that's true. You don't get to go inside of her head at all. And I think- But O'Brien feels pretty real and I'm not in his head. Are, are we in O'Brien's head? I don't know if I understand anything he's I saying. would say we're not, but that I think he's a good character. Yeah. But then I would say Julie is a bad character. And if O'Brien can be a good character, Winston's even a decently good character. That's true. I would say he should have done a better job. I just think with this few characters, you need to do a better job characterizing them. I just I think what I was trying to say is I, I think that the setup that they're all placed in kind of leads me to not be surprised that the characters are flat. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to excuse that. If we're talking about the best of the best, I can't be like, this is one of the best books ever written, but the characters are bad. <laughs> oh, of course not. But yeah, no, I'm not. I, do, I don't give a book a low rating because of a character being misogynistic. Like one of my favorite books is Lolita. Yeah. And Humbert Humbert is much worse than... Winston. Well, yeah. And a lot of the Goodreads were saying like, oh, the scene where, you know, Winston tells her he wanted to assault her and then murder her. Everyone was like, I hated this book because of that. Like I could, you know. Yeah. So. I mean, I hated Winston because of that, but that's fine with me. Right. Yeah. You have to separate those things. But anyway, um, (sighs) so I'm not going to fire it. There were some psychological parts that were good. Uh, That's it. But if we can find something that does a similar thing that's better, swap that bad boy in. Keep an eye out for that uh, retelling from the point of view of Julia that might be coming out soon. Yeah, we'll see. I don't have high hopes, but I don't know anything about it. So maybe I should. (laughs) (laughs) I just a lot of retellings aren't that great. But do you want to end on a high note? Yeah. Do you guys know my my family dog, Kaya? Mm-hmm. Do you know about how she's had a lot of health problems and my parents said that yeah, they have- she's allergic to everything. They said they've literally spent more money on Kaya's medical bills than on any of their children's. <laughs> and I've, I've had surgery. Becca had her appendix taken out too. Wow. So for a while, all they were doing was like buying her allergy pills and trying out different expensive dog foods. And they like refused to get her an allergy workup to see what she's allergic to because that <laughs> costs a lot. And we keep saying you're spending more money on- 
mitigating the issue. You should just find out what she's allergic to and keep it away from her. Wasn't the allergy workup like $300 or something? And we were like, just spend the $300. I think it was $450 or something. But finally, Emily told my mom, I will pay for part of it. (laughs) So they finally got it. And do you want to hear the results? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read you guys the things Kaya is allergic to. Maybe you can just kind of fade me out. Or maybe we should say our goodbyes, and then as I'm reading you the list, you can kind of fade us out. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jackie. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Rachel. I'm Jizzy Jizz. And I wanted to thank uh, Jennifer for becoming the Jackie patron. We finally did it. Yes. Thank you so much, J-Dog. We thanked Jennifer already in a previous episode, but she declared that she is mine and I am hers. Thank you, Jennifer. Jackie's been a little creepy about this, isn't she? (laughs) (laughs) It's a two-way street. All right. So that was awesome. So we're, Mm -hmm. I mean, that promotion is over, but we'll think of a new one. Don't worry. We'll always have a reason for you guys to become our patrons. And like I said, if you if you want to become another Jackie patron, you go on right ahead, sugar. Go ahead. It won't be official though. And if you want to drop Jackie and switch over to the winning team, Theo, aka Jizzy McDruplet. The winning team. <laughs> Jizzy McDruplet. Okay. If you want to, go to patreon.com slash fire the cannon where you can find a lot of fun little extras from us. And if you don't want to, don't. I mean, if you don't want to, don't, I guess. But like consider it, like reconsider. It's pretty good stuff. Mm. If you like us, you're really going to like our bonus episodes. Because guess who does them? Us. Yeah, we do them. It's with some <laughs> secret guests sometimes. Anyway, if you are interested in checking out our Twitter or Instagrams, we are at Fire the Cannon Pod. If you want to email us a hot take because you just loved that Michael hot take and you have your own about something, you can reach us at Fire the Cannon Podcast at gmail.com. We also have a couple Facebook groups for Fire the Cannon Podcast, so check us out there if you want to say anything. And don't forget our TikTok, oh gosh. Fire the Cannon Pod, just like Twitter and Instagram. Jackie dances on that TikTok, just so you know. She does? Yeah, it's bad. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's a video of me doing the jerk. <laughs> it wasn't good. You know you're 30, right? <laughs> I do. That was the point of it. Madeline said it's, quote, atrocious. So. Oh, thank you, Madeline. But what does Caitlin say? Caitlin's Gen Z. We care about her more, her opinion. Caitlin's in the video. Oh, she then is. it's fine. She's, it's like a reaction video. Her eyes say this is atrocious. Oh, darn Her it. eyes say it all. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone. Next week, oh, yeah, okay. Next week, we will be covering Cyrano de Bergerac. We will do that in two parts because there's an upcoming movie, Cyrano, starring Peter Dinklage <gasps> that I'm really excited about. I really like Peter Dinklage. He's a great actor. It's a musical. Oh, what? So I'm kind of into that. <laughs> That's weird. It is a musical. And uh, and I think Peter Dinklage's wife uh, wrote the adaptation specifically for him. So anyway, I'm excited. We're going to read the play, and then we're going to watch that movie and talk about it on Patreon. We're going to watch Roxanne with Steve Martin, hopefully, and talk about that on Patreon. It's going to be awesome. We're going to watch Roxanne with Steve Martin. What are we talking he, about? Steve Martin, he's coming to my house. We're going to watch Roxanne together. Really? No. I love that old white-haired young guy. That old white-haired young guy. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's gonna be fun. I I'm considering reaching out to have a guest to talk about the trope of someone like feeding lines to someone else uh, to win someone's heart because that's it. You know, it's famously in Cyrano de Bergerac. Well, we have to do the Muppet version on the Patreon. What do you mean? There's a Muppet Cyrano de Bergerac? Yes. What? Don't give me that look. Ugh. 
Do you even like the Muppets? Who are you? I like the Muppets. I don't. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's Gonzo. Gonzo is Cyrano. Oh, right. Didn't you say his name was like Nostrolo or something? Nozo? No, it was Cyrano's de Bergerac. Cyrano's. And I'm like, what's the point? His name, he's already the nose guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to watch that and talk about it. Love it. Cool. All right. Now I'm going to read you guys a list of Kaya's allergies. All right. Let's go. All right. Timothy grass, Bermuda grass, Bahia grass, Johnson grass, quack grass, Kentucky bluegrass, June grass, m- mucor mix, stemphilium, penicillium, curvularia, drishlaria, alternaria, cladosporium, <laughs> cephalosporium, aspergillus, hickory, pecan, sweet gum, black willow, elk mix, bayberry, black oak mix, maple, box elder. This is the worst poem I've ever heard. Flea. <laughs> Acarasero might, Triophagus putrescentii might, D. Farinai might, D. Teronisinus might, English plantain, dog fennel, lamb quarters, ragweed mix, pigweed mix, goldenrod, cocklebird, dandelion, dock, sorrel mix, sage mix, beef liver, beef, milk, venison, lamb, kangaroo, corn, fish mix, chicken, duck, brewer's yeast, rabbit, eggs, wheat, and turkey. Do you want to know what foods she's not allergic to? Yes. Barley, soybean, pork, rice, beets, oats, pinto beans, flaxseed, and white potatoes. 